What a great morning and uh, great messages we've already heard as we enter into this time today. In my message here this morning, I'm going to continue in our study in Hebrews, and uh, we are actually at the latter part of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, and talking about the importance and impact of the Incarnation. Um, the author of Hebrews, of course, which we don't know who that is, but uh, points to Jesus from the very beginning. As you recall, as we started this book, uh, we talked about the fact that Jesus is superior to everything. The author is very clear that Christ is ultimate authority, ultimate uh, perfection, God himself coming to earth for us, uh, pointing specifically in the beginning of this book to the fact that he is God. But then as we talked about last week, uh, certainly that he is greater than the angels, but yet made a little lower than the angels, like us. He became human, and uh, he is man. So that's the mystery of the incar incarnation. Incarnation, of course, meaning that Jesus is both God and man, that God became man, that God came to be one of us. And it's such a mystery, really. I mean, to think about the fact that Jesus could be like us completely, but yet without sin, uh, experiencing every part of humanity when he was here on earth, but yet still being fully God at the same time. Raises a lot of thoughts, a lot of questions maybe in our minds. And the, the author of Hebrews is really dealing with this very item as he talks to the, as we mentioned, probably Jewish believers in Rome, in uh, Italy. So uh, we read this letter with that in mind. And uh, so let's read this passage. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And uh, we are, as I said, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. The very first words here we find in verse 10 uh, are so significant for all that we read, all that we know, all that we believe. God for whom and through whom everything was made. 
there's nothing that was made that wasn't from God. There's nothing that was made that wasn't through God's determination and His plan. But there's nothing also that was made that wasn't made for God. Very significant truth there. Uh, we don't always grasp that. You know, we're, we're selfish human beings. <laughs> we we kind of think that everything that's around us is made for us. Well, God in His grace and His love has made things for us. And we, we benefit, we, we rejoice, we enjoy the things that He has given us. But this truth is so essential for us to grasp. God has made everything for Him. Even you. <laughs> and matter of fact, especially you. As we celebrate graduates, we hear the testimonies. Don't forget that you were made by God for Him. By God for Him. That should determine a lot of things that we think and do. If we realize that we're made by God for Him. Not for ourselves, but for Him. And it's certainly true, and so many times the devil and the, the struggles of this life and the human frailty and our own fallenness determine so many times that we think that submitting to God, living our life for Him is possibly something that is enslaving, <laughs> that, that we kind of give up our rights. Well, we do. But the truth of the matter is, if we are made by God and for God, we're only going to find true freedom. We're only going to find true reality. We're only going to find our true purpose in Him. And so we'll read in the rest of this text here that God has done what is necessary so that we can get into that relationship where we find that which He determined at the beginning in making us for Him. So it says here, the author says, that he chose to bring many children into glory. It was his choice. I mean, God could have said, yeah, I made these creatures. They didn't do too well. Forget it. And it kind of looked that way maybe at the beginning, right? Certainly when it came to the flood, it kind of looked that's what was going on. Obviously, that was God showing that the wiping out of those who didn't believe in him was not the way with one man being the one human that still was around, Noah didn't do too well, right? I mean, he was a man after God's heart. He, he certainly was faithful. He did all of those things. But just the doing wasn't necessary. That didn't get rid of the sin problem, right? That wasn't the necessary piece to really get rid of the sin problem. Certainly shown there clearly as the flood didn't accomplish what maybe we would have thought God was trying to accomplish. God knew. He knew it wasn't going to work. But it demonstrates the need for one to come, the perfect one, to take care of the problem. But God's pleasure, God's choice is that we would know Him. He chose to make, bring many children into glory, into a relationship with Him by making a way to Himself. This, this verse is reminiscent of Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. We read, I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Never forget that. The holy, pure God intentionally made a way for sinful, fallen humans to be made holy and enjoy the glory of God, their creator, to be made actually like him. Now, we don't become God. 
but we become his children. And we become his children in the whole fact of no longer being slaves, as we sang about this morning, but being set free from the slavery of sin through what he has done for us. And so the only way possible, the only right way was Jesus to come, God the Son. And the way it happened was that he was made, we're told here in this text, a perfect leader through his suffering. Jesus, God the Son, has always been perfect, <laughs> okay? Completely without sin. He's the eternal God, the second in the Godhead, God the Son. So his perfection wasn't something that he lacked, <laughs> but something that he had. But as we read in this passage, it says that he would make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. Well, what does that mean? Well, perfect is certainly in this text here, meaning complete, meaning doing all that was needed to be done, all right? So Jesus was made and shown to be, through his suffering, the right, the adequate, the complete sacrifice for you and me. His perfecting that was for our benefit, right? That, that he himself took on the suffering that we deserved so that we could be set free, his willingness to suffer and die brought about our salvation. He led the way for us to be saved. His suffering for us was perfect, all we need. He's the leader. The Greek word here for leader used is archegos. It implies someone who initiates or originates a plan for others to follow. Jesus did that. He opened up a completely new way. Everything else had failed right? The law had failed. We, we didn't do it. We couldn't keep it, right? Um, all the other attempts at finding the way ourselves has never worked. God needed to do it for us, and it was through Christ. So Jesus opened up this new way, the only way, to return to what was lost by our rebellion. And he made the way, and he was fit, as this passage says, to bring us salvation. He was fit. <laughs> he was physically fit, he entered into the physical realm. He became one of us to become a human being. He was spiritually fit. He lived among us and experienced life in every way, including temptation and suffering, and he never sinned. He completely obeyed and fulfilled God's requirements, which no one else has ever done or can do. All other attempts to find a relationship with God, they fail. You know, Jesus is the only one that has completely made the sacrifice that was needed. He has lived the perfect life, and he rose again victorious over the grave. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. But he completely obeyed and fulfilled God's requirements. He has brought us, us, through our faith in him, into our salvation. And as he said on the cross, it is finished. He has completely accomplished that which was necessary. I think of the great hymn, one of my favorites, uh, O Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me, he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me before I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory 
beneath the cleansing flood. He has done it. He is the victorious one. He has given us victory. He's made us holy through our faith in him. He has made us clean. He has brought us complete forgiveness. And we now have a relationship with the Father God. We are his children through the work of Christ. And we have a relationship with Jesus the Son. And as the author says here, Jesus is not ashamed to call us, to call us his brothers and sisters. <laughs> Certainly he's not ashamed because he's done what was needed. And if we've received him, if we've come to know him by faith, we have been made right with God. And we truly are brothers and sisters of Christ. We truly are made holy. Now, are we all there yet? No, we've talked about that before. We're in the sanctification process. But as far as our standing with God, we are right with him. We stand righteous with Christ in the heavenlies, we read in Ephesians. Okay, that's who we are and, and through faith in Christ. And so as sons and daughters of the Father God, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Since we have been made holy and acceptable to God by him, he is not ashamed of us. Now, there is a passage where Jesus said, if we're not ashamed of us, he won't be ashamed. I mean, if we're not ashamed of him, he will not be ashamed of us. So there is an element here where we need to certainly be following after him and, and showing our love for him on a regular basis. But we have the assurance here from the writer of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit inspiring him that Jesus' focus is not one to be ashamed of us. <laughs> he loves us. He bought us. We belong to him. And we can live in that confidence, dear friends. That's where we need to be living. He is our elder brother, and he cares for us, protects us, stands up for us. The passage is uh, quoted here by the author of Hebrews. First one is from Psalm 22, 22. Psalm 22 is definitely a messianic psalm. Um, even, I mean, certainly those he was writing to would know that, but even we... <laughs> Gentiles, who are now believers, would see that as a messianic psalm. That's the one that starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus said on the cross. Okay, And the all verses before verse 22, which is quoted here, verses 1 through 21, actually are words of one who is wrestling with being forsaken by God. But in verse 22, which is quoted here, the emphasis shifts to the response to, the, to this problem and the result of the suffering servant. This attributed here by the author of Hebrews to Jesus. Jesus says that he will proclaim the name of the Father to his brothers and sisters, those who by faith believe and receive salvation through him. He will lead us in all praise. Jesus has done that. He is the perfect leader. He leads us into salvation. He leads us into praise with God. He leads us into fulfillment. And so then the author then quotes from Isaiah 8, verses 17 and 18, and again stating that these words are the words of Jesus, saying, I will put my trust in him, in the Father, that is, I and the children God has given me. Jesus has stated in John 6, 39, that this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Dear friends, we are securely saved and loved by Jesus. His becoming human has made this possible. 
Now, the author continues pointing, the humanity, pointing to the humanity of Jesus, stating that Jesus had to become human to die. I mean, that's just kind of, yeah, I get it. <laughs> he couldn't die as a human unless he was a human, right? But what is the significance of that? Well, it says here, we are flesh and blood, physical in our makeup, and so God created us that way, and in order for us to be made acceptable to, be God, to God, a perfect sacrifice, which is flesh and blood on our behalf, must take place. Certainly he demonstrated the inadequacy of blood shed by animals for our salvation. That didn't take place. I mean, it was done. Uh, it showed the needing of the giving of blood. Hebrews later in this book says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, came and took our place. God provided the sacrifice. So Jesus became flesh and blood. Since only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, it says here, and the power of death. Wow. Jesus' death took away Satan's power over us. We do not need to fear him or fear death anymore. I think a society we live in today tries to avoid really dealing with the reality of death personally in a lot of ways. First of all, not talking about it, maybe. Just living life and doing everything I can right now. You know, you only got one life to live, so do all you can. I think there's also maybe sometimes of uh, extreme fascination with uh, the dead. <laughs> A lot of movies and TV shows about the dead and, and all kind of things about that. And maybe it's more of trying to make it in ways that we kind of grasp but don't really have to deal with personally. But in reality, everyone knows down deep that this life will end for us personally. And in reality, not knowing what's ahead certainly brings fear. And in reality, knowing that none of us have really done it all right, there should be fear in realizing that if we have to face a holy God and the judgment that will come, we, we can't do it. We're going to fail. And that's where the fear comes from. I remember when I first came to Christ, a big part of my awareness of my need of him was the reality that came to me that I knew I was going to die someday. And that I had to stand before God. <laughs> and I, I realized that I wasn't cutting it. I mean, I was a good kid, but not good enough. And I realized when Jesus was on the cross that he died for me. <laughs> Just simple faith. I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't fully understand all the dynamics of the incarnation. I still don't, by the way. <laughs> The impact and the importance of the incarnation of Christ coming to die for me, I did get that. I knew that I needed to respond to him for me to have eternal life. Didn't get it all then, still don't get it all now, but I know that's the only way. And I know that my standing with God, being a 
brother and sister of Jesus, a child of God, is all about faith in Christ. And that's what I share with you today. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. That's where our hope is. That's where our confidence is. It's not in ourselves at all. We can't make it on our own. I have a funeral tomorrow. You know, preaching at funerals, officiating funerals, keeps me pretty sober about death. Everybody that's kind of done everything without facing death, suddenly you have a loved one that dies and you're all right there. Now, I certainly try to be respectful and loving to all the family that gathers. But I also need to be faithful to the truth that all of us are going to die. And when we have a loved one that passes, it's an opportunity that God gives for us all to again face the fact that we need a Savior. The funeral tomorrow, the gentleman kind of lived most of his life without any kind of acknowledgement that anybody could see of a need for God. Good person. <laughs> but a few years back, through a family member sharing, that person made a profession of faith, made it clear that they did trust Christ. And I was just talking with some of the family and friends this week, and hey, you know, we, we kind of saw a difference there. <laughs> Why is that? Because the Prince of Peace has brought peace to that person. And in their leaving this earth, they left in peace knowing they would be with him. It's great that I can share that tomorrow in that service. It's also quite troubling when I have a service and I can't share that with confidence. I've had relatives where I've had to do their service and I'm not sure where they're at. Dear friends, let's not get to that point where we're not sure where things are. Jesus has come that we don't have to be afraid. Jesus has come and he's won the victory so that we can have the victory. Jesus has come that you can have forgiveness of sins and live a life of hope knowing that your life is on God's purpose and not your own and that you will be with him forever someday. Ha, hallelujah. That's the gospel. Jesus came to break the power of the devil and the power of death. Before we accept Christ, friends, we face an eternity of separation and punishment. But Jesus delivers us from this, from that which should make us afraid. And Jesus took care of this, as the author says, only by dying could he set free all who are slaves to the fear of dying. He has. It's done. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We can face death with confidence. Jesus went to the grave of a friend, Lazarus. He waited a while before he went, and the family wasn't real happy. And they said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You ever said that to Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, if you'd just have been here and done what I think you should have done, this would have been different. Oh, wow, do we say that? Yeah, we do, but he's so gracious and loving. He loved those sisters. Oh, he loved Mary and Martha. He said some strong things about Martha, right? But he loved her. He loved them. He loved Lazarus. And he said it was for God's glory that it happened like it did. 
But in the midst of all that, he said something that's so essential for us to get. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. <laughs> wow. In the midst of the death of a loved one, Jesus stands and declares these words. I'll share them tomorrow. That's the message. I'm sharing it today because <laughs> it's the message. Jesus, Jesus has died for us. He became human in order to die for you and me. So we do not need to fear death. Hmm. Now I know we're getting a little later here, so hang on. I want to finish this out. All right. And that is, we also see in this passage that Jesus had to be like us in order to become our high priest passage says he didn't come to help angels. They, they didn't need his help. It wouldn't do any good. <laughs> They're not human beings like us that he loves and brings redemption to. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, and he came to fulfill what the high priest practiced but could not provide. Okay, the high priest practiced bringing the sacrifice for the sins of the people, but he could not provide the ultimate forgiveness that was being sought by that sacrifice. But Jesus did. He paid for the sin that restores our relationship with God. The high priest was one of the people representing them to God. That was a part of the necessary practice. So Jesus has become one of us, and he represents us and offers a sacrifice to take away our sins, him actually becoming and being the sacrifice. So he became human. And in so doing, he showed us his mercy. Come to this earth to experience all we experience. Wow, that's mercy. He didn't have to do it. He left heaven, given it all up for us. And he gave it up to live the life that we live. And what I mean by that, he didn't just come and kind of coast through life as a human. He experienced, we're told, everything that we experienced but didn't sin. You ever think about the depth of that? Stuff you're going through, and, and the devil says, oh, you're the only one with that problem or something like that. I mean, there's all kind of stuff goes through our heads. Jesus does know. <laughs> he, he really gets it. He gets you. You ever see those advertisements on TV? I like them. Jesus gets you. He gets us. He gets it. Because he does. He has experienced all of the temptation, all the emotions, all the physical struggles, all the things that you have and will experience. Everything. He's merciful. Certainly he's going to be the judge at the end of all time, but right now as he has come, he comes in mercy. Not doing what we deserve, but suffering on our behalf. Mercy is not holding us accountable for our sin, knowing himself that he paid for it. And he's faithful. He will never give up on us or fail us. 
His forgiveness is forever. He is the merciful, faithful high priest. And as a result, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Dear friends, this last verse in this chapter is for you today. Anybody going through any testing? Yeah, how you doing? Did you study for those tests? It's not like going through school, right? Yeah, we got tests all the time, tests. We could have a long time here today. I know we're beyond, you know, pastor, don't do this because it'll take too long. But all right, but if everybody stood up and shared what you're being tested with, there'll be a lot of stuff being said. It's going on. And, and of course, life is like that, right? You're either in the midst of a test or you've just come through a test or you're going to be going through a test. It just keeps going on and on. And we kind of get this idea that, oh, my goodness, I'm a Christian now, and so life should be a cruise. Ha-ha. I heard some ha-has. Yeah, right, okay. That's a good ha-ha. Yeah, it's really truthful. Ha-ha. Okay. Yeah, no, it doesn't do that. But what does it say? Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us. You want some help? Yeah. And that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to help you when you're being tested. Jesus experienced extreme testing while on earth. Forty days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil while not having eaten. Can't imagine that. He faced the death on the cross, pleading with God the Father that it could somehow be done a different way. But yet saying, not my will, but yours going through with it. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was stripped naked. He hung on the cross for all to see. Anybody done that? That's the ultimate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And he did not sin. The author of Hebrews speaks to this again in chapter 4 where he states, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And all of this means, as the author says, he's able to help us. Where do you go for your help? Well, you say, well, if my pipe's broke, I call the plumber, you know. (laughs) I mean, certainly you need to go to appropriate places for certain things. But ultimately, in your testing of life, we go to the one who understands and can help us. In the passage in chapter 4 I just read, the author says, Because he understands, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And in chapter 12 in Hebrews here, the great thing is we'll come to these again, right? (laughs) But think about this. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Sometimes we feel like that. Oh, my goodness, this is so terrible. I can't make it. Nobody's ever had it like me. Mm. (laughs) Jesus has had it worse. And he did it for you. Don't give up. 
the key word to not giving up and making it through is the word come. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and and burdened down. I'll, I'll give you rest. You said it, right? So come. We just read that verse from Hebrews. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly right into God's throne room (laughs) because of what Jesus has done. You can come right on in. You're a kid of God. I read a story one time about John Kennedy. He was dealing with some kind of a big State Department issue, you know, and the world was on the risk of, probably was the Cuban crisis, I don't know, but something was going on. Little John John comes in, man. He comes in to see his dad, and guess what? John Kennedy stopped all of the proceedings and said, come on in. Anybody remember John Kennedy? You've heard of that name, right? It's true, isn't it? If you've got little kids, you know, that's where your heart is. Dads and moms. Got some dads and moms that are feeling their kids going off to college. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big deal. Where do you go to find help in your time of need? Where do you go when you're concerned and you're afraid? Well, you need to come into God's room. The promise is that you will find mercy and you will find help to get you through in your time of need. We're long today, I know. But I want to close here just with a moment you bow in your heads with me. And when I was talking about those testings, I know there was stuff that went through your mind. It's real to you right now. Take it into God's throne room right now. Don't hesitate. Don't say, oh, I'm not good enough. No, you're not. But Jesus is. <laughs> and he's paid for it. He's opened the door. It's wide open. You don't have to be afraid. Don't listen to that devil who's already been defeated. Remember, you don't need to fear him anymore. Don't be afraid of what's the future. Come boldly right now into the throne room and say, thank you, Jesus, for understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me what I'm going to need to get through this. Thank you that you're with me. And thank you that you give me the strength that I don't have myself. And thank you that whatever is yet to come, I don't need to be afraid. That you are with me. Thank you, Jesus.
A lot of shut-in people all week. How many people did you say they have you signed up for? 36. 36 people. A lot of people that are just don't have much connection with uh, other folks. They're kind of in the middle of a section of the country that's away by itself and uh, have a lot of need. Going with a group of people from this area and uh, maybe some others as well. But uh, I'm going to pray for her, okay, as she goes forward. And as I pray for her, too, I was thinking I'm praying for all of us because we're all going in the mission this week, too, right? have stuff that God's called us to. So let's pray. Thank you for Debbie, Lord. Thank you for uh, her responding to this need and opportunity to serve you. And I pray your blessing upon her as she goes. And we look forward to the report, Lord, of how you're going to use her. So bless her, use her, give her strength. May she not be afraid, trusting in your presence and your, your help with her all the time. And help us all, Lord, as we enter this week, that we may go forward as your servants to serve others in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great day.